You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And thanks for listening. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to take you round the league with DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback, and preview Monday Night Football between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Washington Redskins. Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Will Brinson of CBS Sports. Will, thanks so much for taking the time. In your view, what's the better 3-1 and story? The Bills, who haven't made the playoffs since 1999, or the Rams, who have the best offense in all of football? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, you know what's fun about those two teams is that both are coached by a Sean MC, right? Sean McDermott and Sean McVay making their stamp uh, early on. I would say it's the Rams if I had to pick because I think when you compare the two situations, the Rams have more staying power in the NFC West. They look legitimately like the best team in that division. The Bills, the Bills, the Bills to me are probably overperforming a little bit. I love what Sean McDermott's doing with the defense. I love the fact that Tyrod Taylor's falling out, but I, I look at what Sean McVay has done with Jared Goff, and it reminds me exactly of what he did with Kirk Cousins. You know, he is, it is night and day different between what Jeff Fisher and that, and that, and that, uh, and that offense did last year and what Sean McVay is doing now in terms of getting guys open, getting guys, you know, giving Jared Goff, who's an intelligent quarterback, a cerebral quarterback, with a, with a live arm, but giving him good, easy reads to pull the trigger on, and he's making those reads, and he's, and he's pulling the trigger effectively, and Todd Gurley's running like crazy, and I don't think we've seen the best of this Rams defense. Uh, once these guys adjust to Wade Phillips' 3-4 scheme and you know Aaron Donald to get him worked in and, and, and ready to go for the contract holdout, I think the Rams are a dangerous team. And when speaking of the Rams – when you say dangerous because they, they're the highest-scoring team, not offense, but team in the National Football League, which means they have ways of getting the ball in the end zone, and they can create the stops, as you alluded to a second ago. But when you look at the lay of the land of the teams that are playing in the National Football League, which team can you tell me that's playing just as good as this Rams team? Even though it's just the first quarter of the season, you still have to buy into what they're doing because they're being consistent at what they're doing. Yeah. No, Cordell, I, don't, I mean, like, I think – it's crazy. So if you start going down the list, you're like, who's good in the NFL, right? I think everyone can agree, and, and you know, TBD on week four, Monday night, tonight, with the, with the Chiefs, uh, that the Chiefs are good, right? I mean, they're, they're a very good team. But then you start to go through the list of teams that are three and one, or you only have one undefeated team, and there's kind of a shocking realization that the Rams and the Eagles might be two of the better teams in the NFL. Uh, along, I think, I, think, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are right there. You know, I, I don't. I'm not going to press the panic button on the Patriots because I've seen that panic button pressed, and I've seen it backfire in too many people's faces when they when you, you pin the you pin the is the dynasty dead hot take. That's that's when you end up you end up on old takes exposed if you do that. So I'm not I'm not interested in that. Um, I think the Patriots will be fine, but you know, look, the Rams have a running game. They have a young quarterback who was talented enough to be worth trading up to grab at the number one overall spot. They have Sammy Watkins, who showed out in a big way against the 49ers on Thursday night two weeks ago. He was dealing with a concussion. I think he will bounce back nicely. Todd, I mean, Todd Gurley is running like he did during his rookie season. Coming out of Georgia, that guy was so special. And Andrew Whitworth, maybe the most unheralded signing 
of this offseason in terms of protection. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say the Rams are a top-five NFL team, but for a quarter of the way through the season with so many teams looking up and down, teams having obvious weaknesses, you know, maybe there's not a ton of elite teams. I, the Rams are a contender. I mean, they, they just have to be. Will Brinson, CBSSports.com, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. So, Will, with the Monday night game coming up in Kansas City, go back to a few years ago when Tom Brady had an awful game in that very stadium, and then it was Bill Belichick saying on to Cincinnati, and the Patriots came alive. Still, this defense has been an issue dating back to last year. They trail 28-3 to in the Super Bowl. They've given up 128 points to start the season. Are the Patriots dealing with some fundamental issues? Yeah, I thought um, the you know, you know give credit where credit's due. I thought Lewis Riddick made a great point when he was talking on Scott Van Pelt Sports Center show on Sunday night that if you watch what's going on in that secondary, you know Devin Funches. Devin Funches is a great receiver, but Devin Funches should not be wide open in anybody's end zone. You know, he, this is not Tyree Kill we're talking about. This is Devin Funches, and he's wide open on the busted play. I think communication is a real problem for those guys in terms of the back end now. The, the real issue there when you start talking about how can we fix the secondary, how can we fix this defense, if you don't have a pass rush to complement that secondary, it's going to be difficult to, you know, to mitigate the, the issues you deal with because the quarterbacks you're going up against are going to have plenty of time to throw the ball. I mean, Cam Newton, think about this. Cam Newton basically got shut down and got thrown in the maybe he's toast category when he played the Saints. And he had to get right on the road against Bill Belichick and the Patriots in New England. I mean, that, that is, 2017 is a weird year. I mean, it, I, you know, but I didn't expect it to be that weird. And I, I think that the Patriots are dealing with, we, we looked at them during the offseason, and we saw the flashy additions. You know, they traded for Coney Ely, they traded for Brandon Cooks, and the injuries started to pile up a little bit on offense, but the attrition really is on defense in terms of the pass rush. And they just can't get any pressure on anyone. Bill Belichick, since he arrived in Foxborough, his teams have given up 20, 23 times. They've given up 33 points or more. Three of those times are this year. I mean, this is a bad Patriots defense. You give the benefit of the doubt to Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick that they can fix it, but you have to recognize that this is a team that is not going to flip the switch overnight and be good on defense again. I know we mentioned a few 3-1 and one teams uh, throughout the National Football League, but one of those 3-1 and one teams can be easily 4-0 and right now. Uh, I think a questionable call last week against the Atlanta Falcons, the Detroit Lions, when it came down to Tate actually catching that football. And they say his knee was down before he actually crossed the line, which it could have gone either way, just like the fumble yesterday with Matt Ryan at home. It could have gone either way. Tell me about this Detroit Lions team. Are you believing what they're doing right now defensively and especially with the highest play, paid player in the game in Matthew Stafford at the quarterback position for the Detroit Lions? I would love to tell you that I know what's going on with the Lions. I don't understand the Lions. I thought after – I mean, and that's just the God's honest truth. I, after their season last year, well, I mean, I think they trailed in the fourth quarter – in their first, like, seven games. And, and, you know, Matthew Stafford ended the season with eight fourth-quarter comebacks, game-winning drives. It was a team ripe for regression. The defense shouldn't be as good as it is right now. But you have Darius Slade playing well. I think Gerard Davis being out is going to be a problem. But this is, this is a team, I, I think that maybe more so than any team in the NFL, that this team has done a brilliant job 
surrounding Jim Caldwell with really talented coordinators. You know, you look at Jim Bob Cooter, Terrell Austin. These, these guys are coaching, coaching their, their respective units up in a big way, and the Lions could could be four zero. And you know, I mean, it's 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 wild to imagine that this team that that because there's there's no you know there's Matthew Stafford who's a big headliner, but there's no superstars on on really either side of the ball outside of Stafford. I mean, Golden, I, I think Golden Tate's an underappreciated wide receiver. Marvin Jones is having a nice little run here, and Darius Slay has been a lockdown corner. But you know, there, there there just aren't many superstars, and to have this team play as well as it has played. To me, it is is frankly pretty stunning. Lovely little test coming up between the Panthers and the and the Lions to try and figure out, you know, whether Carolina's win in New England was real. You know, whether you know how Detroit will play at home, given that they're three and one. The Minnesota Vikings lose Dalvin Cook to an ACL injury. You know, they're dealing with Sam Bradford being out. I mean, the the, the NFC North is ripe, especially with the Packers being banged up. For the Lions to come in and steal that title. Will and Cordell, we have a significant injury update from Oakland. Post-game yesterday in Denver, Jack Del Rio said that the team believed Derek Carr was merely dealing with a back spasm issue. Now they're saying it's a minor fracture in his back. Could be out anywhere from two to six weeks. Will, I'll ask you first, how does this impact now the overall balance of power in the AFC West? Wow, yeah, Brian, that's a, that, that, is, uh, that is significantly different from back spasms, right? Fracture in your back, that's a... I, th- I thought Tony Romo, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm showing for my, my CBS Sports colleague here a little bit, but I thought Tony Romo did a fantastic job, as did Jim Nance, when the injury happened, sort of pointing out that, you know, the twisting, that's where you really get concerned when you get struck as you're twisting, that it could be a back injury that, that lingers longer. I, look, that is, this is their franchise quarterback. E.J. Manuel was a first-round pick, but if E.J. Manuel is forced to take over for the Raiders, they become the the fourth best team in that division. Now, they've got a better record than the other teams, but that is a big benefit for the Chiefs and the Broncos and the Chargers. I, th- I think if you look at the Raiders' schedule, they're actually in a pretty pretty good spot to maybe try and 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 win some games. This this might be the moment where if you're if you're Jack Del Rio, you're hoping you could have saved Marshawn Lynch to to run the ball effectively late in the season. Maybe you just change your offensive philosophy. You lean heavily on Marshawn Lynch, pound the ball, let him give him 25 carries a game, and that's not great for a, a guy, a running back who was retired and is over 30. But if you can, if you can win some games that way, let Khalil Mack try and take over some games, and just tread. You got to tread water and hope that Carr can come back. But if it's a lingering back injury, then the Raiders are just like they were last year when, when he suffered that injury on, on, uh, on Christmas Eve, they're probably not going to be a, a legitimate contender. Well, strong debut. We appreciate the information and hope to chat with you again soon here on the NFL on TuneIn. Yeah, anytime, guys. Take care. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Take it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Is a touchdown. Catch NFL First and Goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern only on TuneIn. 
Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's dissect the fallout from the Falcons' loss to the Bills with DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback. DJ, a week ago, we talked about the notion that the Falcons were fortunate to escape with wins at Chicago and Detroit. Did that catch up with them yesterday in part because of the injuries at the receiver position? Yeah, that, that's part of it, man. Uh, well, I, I think not having some of those key guys in there that uh, bring a lot of production to your, especially your offensive unit, uh, it forced Buffalo to play the, their defensive style a little bit differently. Having Julio, a big-body guy in there, having Muhammad Sanu, a big-body guy in there as well, uh, teams tend to play off a little bit. And once those two guys are out the game, they went straight two-man coverage or they went some type of man-robber coverage, and they were just pressing the guys and, forcing them to win at the line of scrimmage, and they weren't really winning. So they put a lot of pressure on Matt Ryan, put a lot of pressure on that offensive line because they were getting some pressure. Uh, but at the end of the day, injuries happen. That's part of the game, and those guys had to step up. But the, only, the other big part of the game was getting turnovers. You know, uh, this is the second time, well, second week in a row. Uh, I think now the Falcons are, are minus six now in turnovers in the last two games. Anytime you have that many turnovers, it's going to catch up with you and and this ball game, it, it did, but it, at the end of the day, they still had a chance at the end of the ball game to win it and have a chance. So uh, it almost worked out again, but sometimes you just can't hang on to those type of uh, games all the time. And of those turnovers, uh, you see Matt Ryan with five interceptions in two weeks. I mean, I don't want to say it's uncharacteristic, but you've been around Matt. Uh, you've been there with him for some time. Uh, you've seen him in practice. When you see him get I'll use the word rattled, like this. Does it affect him to the point where it starts carrying over into weeks to come, or does he all of a sudden, he has a short-term memory and the capabilities of snapping right out of it and getting back on the foot that we know he's capable of being on, which is a good one, and playing like on an elite level? You know, Corder, I, I don't think it, it phases him as much. Uh, I've known Matt for uh, almost 10 years now, and this guy has the mental capacity of a guy who – has been playing for 15, 20 years. I mean, he just – he does allow a lot of stuff to rattle him. He's a very competitive guy. And to be honest, the, the last couple of interceptions have been uh, interceptions where guys were getting tipped balls, and it's not like they were badly overthrown or, or plays like that. Uh, but it, it does, as a quarterback, you've been there, I've been there. Even when you throw a couple of interceptions and they're not your fault, they still somehow, some way, they enter your brain and you think about them, but – uh, just hearing him talk after the game, uh, talking to him throughout the week, he's a guy that he understands that things happen, but I don't think this is something that will uh, be an issue for him going forward because he's one guy who's probably tougher on himself than any coach or any uh, media fan person can be on him. So he'll get it corrected and make sure uh, he tries to cut down on those penalties. But five and two games is hard to overcome and win ball games at that. He's, he's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber. Going around the league with DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback, now that we've established who we are. We're not Mike Pereira. We're not Dean Blandino. But we have eyes. And you and Cordell played quarterback. DJ, what'd you make of what I'll deem a marginal call on the Matt Ryan fumble, taken back for a touchdown? We can break it down frame by frame. To me, it looked like his arm was coming forward. Yeah, you know, I'm sure Cordell will agree with me. B-Way, if you, you play QB, you will agree with me. We will never say it's a fumble. We will always say, you know, our arm's going forward. Uh, but, you know, watching it so many different ways, it's, it's 
one of those things where you think his arm was going forward and they say the ball was starting to move out his hand and he didn't have a full grip on it. It's one of those plays that could go either way. And it's kind of similar to what happened last week versus Detroit where it looked clearly like, you know, his, his knee was down and he had the correct call. But we've seen it week after week, year after year, where that call has, you know, stayed the same or has been overturned or whatever it may be. So it's one of those calls that I think it depends on where you see it and how you see it as far as the ball coming out of his hand. Is it clearly out of his hand? Uh, I really thought that it wasn't a fumble uh, at the time, but uh, I've been wrong before. Well, I'll tell you what, it it was very questionable and – I was looking at it actually on my while watching in the game, but having a chance to look at it on my laptop, you know, the ball moved in his hand. He didn't have total control, but his arm was going forward because of, I would say the force of the player that was making the tackle and the ball just came out with no spin on it. So it looked like a fumble. I thought it was going to go the the Falcons way because they're at home. It was one of those things that you just give it to them while they're at home, but you know what? (laughs) They didn't, but here's my question. And I think one that really needs to be addressed because they don't talk about it enough. Julio Jones, he is probably the most injury-prone receiver in the National Football League. Every year, it's either the toe, it's either a hammy, it's the quad, now it's the hip flexor. How long can these injuries continue and he still maintain being as effective as we know he can? When will this? you think this, this trend of playing great football will slow down just a little bit? Because Sanu may be out for two to three weeks, and now it's just Julio Jones with the injuries that we know he already have. And now right. here it is a hip flexor of all things because of how he aggressive, he, how aggressively he runs. He needs his hip flexor to be very much so in shape. Yeah, Cordell, it's one of those things that you look at Julio Jones and you, you talk about him being arguably one of the best receivers in the game. And the only thing that comes back to Julio Jones are the injuries. And it's, it's, a, it's a really good statement on – can you depend on him throughout a year? And over the past three years, he's been a guy who's been prone to miss three or four games here, two or three games there. And lucky enough for the Falcons, they have the bye week this week. So they have some time to get guys back. And just listen to Coach Quinn talk after the game. He said Julio wanted to come back in, but he didn't feel he can be as explosive as you just talked about, a guy who really, really runs after really hard. Uh, but not having Julio Jones out there was a big, big part of this ball game. And hopefully this is not a, a lingering issue that goes forward throughout the season because uh, you, you get into two weeks when you play against Miami and it's just Julio and Sanu's out and he, you know, somehow re-injures that hip flexor. You're back in the same issue with everybody else. The other receivers are 5'8 and below or 5'10 and below, whatever it is, and not the big body guys as he is, and they're just going to double Julio. So it's an issue that I think the Falcons definitely – uh, think about, but hopefully it's something that won't linger going forward for the rest of the year. Don't worry about Miami. They haven't been able to move the football in two weeks. We're spotlighting <laughs> know, what went down DJ yesterday with our pal. Yeah. Yes, we know it's a week-to-week league. DJ Shockley, the former Falcons quarterback. DJ, we were just talking about the major defensive liabilities in New England. I know you spent a lot of time studying the Patriots, getting ready for the Super Bowl matchup last year. Are we just being intellectually lazy to say, hey, it's Belichick, Patricia, they'll figure it out, or is there a real problem in New England? No, they got a real issue, uh, especially on the back end. Uh, just just watching the way they communicate on the back end, the way they try to talk through certain things, and uh, just watching uh, the game yesterday with, with them versus Carolina. There were a couple issues in the game where they had nothing but simple motions or simple shifts, and uh, guys were getting confused about who they had, and they had – three, four, five times where guys were running wide open 
this is not something that you just say, okay, they'll they'll figure it out later on. You got Tom Brady, they're gonna score points. They're giving up thirty plus points a game. And as good as Brady is, you can't expect that to happen every single week. So they have an issue uh defensively that they have to get solved and they have to go to the drawing board right now and uh, I don't know, they just gotta go and look at themselves in the mirror, watch the watch the tape and make it a hard hard watch and call some guys out and guys have to be uh, talked about in this because if not, this is going to be an issue going forward. And regardless of how good your offense is, you're giving up that many points, uh, it's going to be tough to win a lot of ball games. Speaking of giving up 30 points a game, let's talk about who's putting up over 30 points a game. The, the L.A. Rams, when you watch them now, last year at this point in time, they were 3-1. and one. This year, they're 3-1 and one again. Does it look different to you how this team is actually playing from a defensive standpoint? and especially on the offensive side of the football as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, I think it's night and day. I, you look at the success they're having. Uh, obviously, last year uh, you heard Todd really talking about he felt like he's playing in a, a middle school offense and Jared Goff hadn't won a game yet, and now you can see him throwing it around a little bit more. He's more accurate. Uh, you hear him talking about getting the ball out of his hands a little bit faster. Uh, the defense looks the part. They're flying around. They're creating turnovers as well. This is a, 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 a team that looks a lot better than it did last year. And having the fact you have a quarterback that is doing a good job of taking care of the ball and they're spreading it around and they're putting Gurley all over the place. You, you saw, I saw him catch a touchdown uh, in the air the other day, go 30, 40, 50 yards on, on a touchdown. They're doing a lot of things to be successful offensively. And they're not trying to make golf do everything and win the ball game for them. And then you line up and you play good defense. DJ, great information as always. Stay healthy. Feels like there's some injury bug floating around Atlanta. I just want to make sure you remain 100%. I'm good, man. You know, I, I, I do my yoga, so I'm, I'm good to go. I'm all right. Oh, nice. Hey, DJ. Is it the Diamond Dallas Page yoga? <laughs> no, I'm playing around. There's no DJ, yoga. DJ, take your time, man. Take your time. Shake it off, all right? Shake it off. Hey, DJ, as we say goodbye, I know you have 19 jobs. Do you have just a couple minutes to help Cordell because he's dabbling in prep football and it's not working out offensively? Hey, I'm over there at North Atlanta, bro. We just got our backs blowed out by Alpharetta, 35-7. to 7. Can you believe that? Good God Come Almighty. on, man. Come on. Come on, But they're good, y'all, bro. Y'all, y'all they're good. Y'all got to go with that. Y'all got to do better. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. You're right. I've been saying it all the time. It's real ridiculous. B-Web, right. help him out, man. What, what are you doing wrong? I've tried B-Web to. B-Web, help me out. I learned a lot from Bill Walsh, but he won't listen to me, DJ. A whole bunch of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, DJ. DJ laughing at that one. All right, fellas. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Tune in puts you on the sidelines for the 2017 college football season free all year long. With college football on TuneIn, hear the home and away calls for more than 100 schools live, regular season matchups and rivalry games, conference championships and bowl games, the college football playoff in January. You can listen to it all for free. At home, on campus, or in rival territory, hear the excitement and pageantry of college football all season long, free on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now it's time for more takeaways from Sunday's action, and Cordell has some strong opinions. Cordell, who do you want to call out based on the debacle 
That is the L.A. Chargers. And let me give you a strong opinion from Jason Peters of the Eagles postgame, because if you watched that game yesterday, it felt like it was played in Philadelphia. Far more Eagle fans than fans of the Chargers. Peters saying after the game, it almost is like the Chargers now have 16 away games. Well, I tell you what, man, it, it almost makes you ask the question, why did they leave San Diego? You know, because if you're going to a stadium like the StubHub Stadium where there's only a, what, a max capacity of, what, up to 28,000? No, no, no. Now it's down 20- to 25 because they are covering up seats that they can't sell. Okay. So now because of the lack of selling and being able to have people come to the game, now they have to cover up a portion of the stadium, which truthfully, without covering up, that's, what, up to 28,000. Correct me if I'm wrong. At you least. were correct, yes. Okay. So now you can't fill up a stadium of 28,000 people. Now they're covering up just to, let's just say, make things look suffice, in a sense, from the standpoint of not having empty seats because you can't even fill up a 20. My question is, why would you move from San Diego? Why can't you do like the, the Raiders and allow your team to stay there for a couple more years and just, and just bear the frustration and, and just allow the team to, and even the players for the most part, to maintain being comfortable and until the move is actually made. So now there's going to be three moves that's going to have to be made. Well, two moves. Uh, one from San Diego to L.A. and then from L.A. to another part of L.A., which is somewhere in Inglewood, uh, as far as the stadium is concerned. Like, where are you actually leaving all your information, your paperwork offices? Where is all so, so to me, I just think this move to L.A., considering how this team is responding, considering how the fan base is responding, it just seems to me, you know, it's always in hindsight how you, you ask the questions and you want to make corrections. Uh, but those were questions I think was asked by this show of why would they leave the San Diego area with understanding, yeah, people were frustrated. We get all that. But that could have been two more years of renovation of that, of that facility and allowing the fan base who probably would be extremely upset, but who would really want to continue to follow their team for the next couple of years to come out and be a part of that venue. I know the Spanos family probably was just anxious to get out of town. I get that. I get it. You probably just want to bust a move and, and, and maybe because of dollars uh, and the value of your football team, it may have taken you up a few hundred million bucks or so and made the value go up a few hundred million. It's actually a billion. They're not Excuse worth me, more than $2 billion. billion. So that's you real know, money. But, but here's the question, Cordell. I get the metaphor that you are laying out. The Raiders staying in Oakland has worked, small sample size, but the Raiders are also a quality team, we believe. I don't know where they are now, coming off back-to-back road losses. What if the Chargers were winless still in San Diego and nobody showed up there in a much more cavernous stadium? Wouldn't the optics look terrible in San Diego as well? Well, it could, but at least you've been a part of the terrible optics in that city for some time to the point where I think the fan base would be accustomed to it. But now who's your fans fan base. That's not accustomed to that lifestyle. Well, that's a great point. Cause I don't think, and this could be my LA bias. I don't think most people in Los Angeles care. The chargers are here. What, have you seen the Rams? I mean, come on. Well, look, look that's going to be different weekend. now. That's going to be different because LA loves a winner and the Rams are hot. There it is. So people and, will show up at the Coliseum. So just imagine if they both were zero and four or both zero and three. They would probably try to split down the middle how many games they go in the season, go to in the season, far as home games were concerned in the, in, in the LA in the LA LA area. Excuse me. And so for me, when I look at this, I say to myself, 
you know, the Rams team, who is the home team, is actually playing some really, really good football from a scheme standpoint, from an effort standpoint. We're seeing things by Todd Gurley uh, that we didn't see at all last year. I mean, here it is. He gets, what, 30 touches total catching and running. He gets 215 total yards in the TD. I mean, that's pretty darn good considering Jared Goff, Look how he's playing. Look at this defense by Wade Phillips. We talk about turnaround time for as the defenses are concerned that he actually has a chance to be a part of. Look how good they're playing. Again, the highest scoring team in the National Football League. Down the road, you have the L.A. Chargers. I'm not going to that. They can't even score touchdowns the right way or just to the point where you, you say, ooh, this, this looks pretty good. To me, it's time to move forward at the quarterback position, move forward with what you'd want your team to look like so that as you get ready to move into the Inglewood Stadium, in my mind, I think you give the fan base an opportunity to have a fresh start overall. I think you should. I think they should have stayed right there uh, in San Diego, regardless of what would have happened. This is something I think that fan base there in that community is accustomed to seeing a team that starts off slow. And finish strong. A team that starts off fast and finishes slow. That's been their mantra for the for the longest. And what team you sometimes did not want to see in the month of, let's say, parts of November, December. It was the Chargers at one time. And I think because of this move, honestly, I think it's probably wearing on the team. Uh, you have a new head coach in Anthony Lynn. Uh, you have a new environment for your living situations is concerned. I think there's a multitude of things that come into play, but we won't lend that to be the excuse. The reality is, for me, I think they should have stayed right there in San Diego at least for a year to two more years because how many years they have until, including this year, until they actually move to Inglewood? What is 2020 now because all the rain in Southern California got pushed back a year. There it is. So you allowed them, say, 17, 18, 18, and 19. Go maybe wherever you choose to go or just stay there in San Diego until it's time. I mean, would it hurt them? To actually be, when the last time we seen this team start off this bad? I will let you know. The only one in four, or rather, zero in four team in NFL history to make the playoffs: the nineteen ninety two Chargers. One team in the history of the National Football League has gone from zero and four to the postseason. I don't think it's going to be the Bolts this year. Let me take you to the podium. Post game yesterday in Carson, California. Carson Wentz amplifying what we've been talking about. The Eagles had a road advantage playing in Southern California, thanks to their fans. You know, I'm kind of starting to not be stunned by our fans. You know, honestly, it's unbelievable. You know, they travel so well. They're at every game. So it's it's so enjoyable. They make it so fun. But it's, it's starting to be the norm almost, so to speak. So, you know, hats off to them. They, they bring it every game no matter where we're at. So really thankful for those guys. Charger head coach Anthony Lynn, friend of the program, waited many years for his head coaching opportunity. Now he's off to an 0-4 start. You just need to tweak a few things. You know, we got to get more consistency with our offense. And uh, if we got this bend but don't break on defense, that's got to change too. And we haven't made a play on special teams to help us win a game yet. Now, Cordell, let's play coulda, woulda, shoulda. Chargers only lost by two yesterday in part because, don't you know, Phillip Rivers had a fumble instead of the multi-interception game he had a week before. Three interceptions helping Kansas City win. But in fairness, Rivers bounced back statistically. 347 passing yards. Go back to week one, the rookie kicker ice by your friend Vance Joseph had a chance to tie it up in the closing seconds of overtime on the road in Denver. Made the first kick. No good because of the icing. Then it's blocked, so they lose a heartbreaker. Week two, home for Miami. Rookie kicker lines up for a game-winning field goal. He misses it. So this team is not terrible, but does that matter at all when you're 0-4? 
<clears throat> it's like in golf, right? The ball may, you may, you know, hit a ball thin. You may hit it off of a tree. It may bounce off of a rock out of a creek, land on the green 10 feet from the hole. You need a birdie to actually win it. And you're considered as one of the better putters inside of 12 feet. You think anyone is really being concerned about how it got there? If anything, they're just concerned about, can he put himself in position to make this putt to win? And they're all ecstatic and excited because the ball is in place to give him that opportunity. They haven't put themselves in that position to have that opportunity. Regardless, if, you're, if you've lost four straight games, you're bad. You are as good as your record says you are. And there no, there's nothing in the win column. Bill, Parcet, Bill Parcell said it best. You are what your record says you are. And if you're an average team at being 55, at being at 500, you know what? So be it. Sometimes you can be the best or the worst 500 team, but guess what? In the end, you still what? 500. So this team hadn't won a game. They fall in the category with teams like the Giants, the Cleveland Browns. Give me another team that they fall into the category of not having a single win. San Francisco 49ers, and here's my commentary. They should have won that football game yesterday on the road in Arizona. They had a brilliant strategy, taking advantage of the new shortened 10-minute overtime. They milked the clock, took it down to roughly a minute, but the heroics end of the game provided by Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald on his way to the Hall of Fame. Yep, and and, and that's the kind of stuff. Now, now, when you allow yourself to look at these teams that we just mentioned. Of those four, the one team that you say, okay, you'll give a pass to is the San Francisco 49ers because you have a new head coach, you have a new GM, you have a young team. They're trying to figure out who they are without having everything that they actually want or even need. Deshaun Kaiser may be the future of this organization and out there in Cleveland. I just think overall Cleveland is still trying to figure it out. I mean, they, they've just been bad for so long to the point where you just kind of even put them in the equation. I mean, plus, that's a, Miles Garrett hasn't played. Number one overall pick's been banged up. Exactly. But when you look at this 49ers team, you know, you, you see them competing. I mean, they've, I guarantee you, when they win their first game after all this hard work that they're putting in, uh, you better believe it may seem as if they won a championship uh, there in San Francisco. Because honestly, and I say kids in, in all due respect because they are young and there are a lot of rookies that are actually out there playing. Those kids are playing hard football. But the Chargers? No excuse for me at the end of the day because this is one of the teams in that division that you always had had hopes for to play well. And what have they done? Everything opposite of that. They've done everything to put themselves in position to win, but when it mattered most, they also put themselves in position to lose. And unfortunately for them, with the move that they've made, the new head coach, uh, moving forward with what they're trying to do, it's not looking good for this football team at all. So in the end, my question is to the Spanos family, why would you move out of San Diego? And of course, they're now gained a billion bucks, as you mentioned. Um, that's the side of it that sometimes can be pretty frustrating and tough, which is what? The business side. And so if that's the case, I think. Uh, but you know what? As I said before, though, when you only have 27 to 28,000, I was hoping they have a chance to fill it up. But you're not necessarily losing much because of what you gain. I think the gains outweigh the losses. For this San Diego, for this LA Chargers team, but they better make a move pretty soon. Like get a new quarterback. If they're not thinking about starting the next year, at least have him sitting in the wings behind a Philip Rivers to get prepared to move forward with who they want this team to look like and and, and play like. Uh, if not, you think they've only covered up what three thousand seats to make it twenty five thousand? Just imagine if they cover up another five more and it's only twenty, and then you get down to fifteen. Then what's the conversation going to be like? Is this a basketball game? 
Well, they can play a soccer game at the same time. They can double well, you play a soccer game. Yes, you can. Alternate. Call it football, for real, on its highest levels. But that, that's, who I, that's who I question um, when it comes down to the Chargers is, why would they make the move, especially now that you see things turning out the way they, turning out the way they have so far up until this point? You just hope at some point in time they can at least get a victory just to allow this move and everything that they've, that they've done so far, new coach and everything, to be worth it to an extent, at least find some good rhythm and some positive energy just to get a few dubs. You mentioned the 49ers. They are better than their winless record would indicate. Go back to a chance to have a victory on the road in Seattle, then the shootout against the Rams, and that was a kick fest yesterday. Nothing but field goals all the way into overtime, and then the walk-off win for Arizona to use the baseball terminology with the wildcard game coming up tomorrow. Post-game, Kyle Shanahan understandably searching for answers. I was um, disappointed. You know, I thought um, thought we had the opportunities there to win the game on both sides of the ball a um, number of times throughout the game, and uh, we didn't get it done. So it was disappointing. As for Arizona head coach Bruce Arians, he had plenty of praise for the tenacity of his football team. I'm really proud of our guys. I mean, great effort from the entire team. I thought, um, you know, every guy fought. It was good. There's some bad. Uh, but it was a hard-fought win. I, you know, just really pleased with the effort. Arizona 2-2. Two and two. Now they're on the road on Sunday taking on the 3-1 and one Eagles in a juicy matchup. We've been talking about teams that are still vying for the first victory. 0-4 Chargers on the road at the 0-4 New York football Giants and somebody's <laughs> somebody's got to win a football yeah. game on Sunday. Let's take you to Tampa Bay here from Odell Beckham Jr. after a gut-wrenching loss. Bucks kicker Nick Folk had missed an extra point, two field goals, but won it in the final seconds. Here's Odell postgame. I would have never thought we'd been over 0-4, but it is what it is. That's that's what our record is. Can't sit here and cry about it. You just got to keep, keep trying to get better each and every day get the first win and, and see what happens from there. Cordell, watching that game, I thought the Giants actually played fairly well because remember, they were down 13 nothing. The Bucks, I mentioned, missed the PAT. They did not give up. I thought the effort was there. Maybe they have found the running back in Wayne Gallman coming out of Clemson. He was on the business end of an Eli Manning touchdown pass. Eli ran for a touchdown. That was more than two yards. He scampered into the end zone for about 12 yards out. Still, what would you take away from the Giants' perspective in the road loss at Tampa Bay? You know, that was, that, was, that was going to be, I thought, a, a tough game for the Giants just because of Tampa and, you know, how they like to play at home and how much better they're getting. Um, I mean, we can go down the stats at the end of the day and call it what we choose to, but you, you have to be able to execute, especially on the road, and take advantage of some of those opportunities. Um, I thought the running game for this Giants team, again, wasn't good enough. Uh, to help them out defensively, uh, not making the stops when they're supposed to. I mean, Jameis Winston probably had one of the better games of, of the season so far, going 22 of, of 38, uh, putting up three TDs in the air. Um, I thought I thought Jacquez Rogers, I thought he was serviceable enough to, to, to allow this team to, to be in contention for his first down, second downs, staying ahead of down and distance. Wasn't nothing – extremely great per se, but it was within the scheme of what they were doing. And Jameis, I thought he'd play well um, overall, honestly, but this, this, this Giants team, they just don't have a rhythm. You know, you, 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 you put yourself in position to have a chance to win and you, you don't close the deal. I just think this is an ongoing occurrence for this Giants football team this year, whether it's 
Odell Beckham, uh, injuries to not being able to catch the football, balls not being thrown to the right guy, taking sacks. I know it sounds like it's getting better, uh, but better is not good enough because if you don't win, the end result will be the, will be the same as it's been, uh, especially if you've been struggling. And, and, and they're as bad as I think their record says they are. Um, you know, they go out and they get, what, they have more first downs than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, the numbers are similar when it comes to passing on first down, when it comes to rushing on, on first down. Um, penalties, you know, eight penalties for 17 yards, okay? It's not, it's not necessarily bad, but you want to cut those out. Uh, red zone conversions, going three or four. You know, so there's a multitude of things here. Uh, that you could look at to say that was good stuff. I mean, they had time of possession, 34 as opposed to 25. Uh, it's just being able to take advantage of those opportunities, and you're not a good enough team not take advantage of those opportunities and still win the game. Sometimes good fortune pad goes your way to where if your team is good enough, regardless if you execute on offense, getting those first downs, putting the ball between the uprights. You know, like Steve Young said in the NFC, in the NFC Championship game, um, that they played against the Dallas Cowboys and in San Francisco, you know, he saw his teams kicking field goals all the time. And he was like, we got to hurry up and get a touchdown because you can still kick two field goals. They get a touchdown and and either miss the field goal and tie the game, the opposing team or kick it and be up by one. So we got to get a touchdown. That's what this team has to learn how to do. They have to be able to take advantage of those opportunities and not just kick field goals, but start getting in the end zone. So, you know, they're trying, but trying is not good enough because when you're consistently falling on the L side of the column, the win-loss column, uh, it goes to show you that the team is just not good enough on that given Sunday. So um, they're struggling. They're struggling badly. And as Odell Beckham just mentioned, um, you can't complain about it. You just have to go back to work and get better. Giants, the biggest negative surprise, biggest disappointment in all of football since we're talking schedule. Big Blue better beat the Chargers at MedLife Stadium on Sunday, Cordell. Beyond that, they go to Denver. How about what's going on with your guy, Vance Joseph, year Ooh. one with the Broncos. Then the Giants host the Seahawks. Then they host the L.A. Rams. So if they're winless that far along, as a recovering New Yorker, I can tell you the chatter, that's going to be brewing on WFAN. Ben must go. Ben must go. There's going to be a lot of heat on Ben McAdoo if they don't win on Sunday. But there's going to be a whole bunch. And you talked about the Denver Broncos and Vance Joseph. Um, this defense of this football team, honestly, man, is playing some of the best football, I would say, in the game today. far as how they apply the pressure, um, I would say far as how they're creating the turnovers. The team that actually won the championship, if you remember correctly, uh, and, and, and that went to Super Bowl 50. Uh, I think they led the league with turnovers and actually scoring points off of those turnovers. Um, They're going in that right direction, uh, in my mind, when it comes down to um, what they're doing, what they're trying to get accomplished uh, to allow this team to be good. And if you look at what they've done over a a four-game span, uh, this defense has only allowed on the average uh, 13 points in a game, per game, on an average. That's, I mean, I know it sounds like... um, you know, you look at one game and they win and get 21 and get 17 and then they lose 26 and 10. But when you look at an average and how they're playing the games, that that's what they're giving up. And they're not giving up much. I mean, they may have a touchdown or two scored on them, but their offense is being able to put up 24 points, 42 points. They lost, they got 16 points in this last one against Oakland. They put up another 16 points. So they're able to, to get the ball in the end zone. 
so it, their hands are going to be full when it comes to the Giants and what they're going to have to play against. And it's not going to get any easier for them. I mean, just imagine this team being 0-6 in New York. <laughs> I would love to be the fly on the wall in that city. Or just the, just the bird, maybe. How about the bird that's just hanging on one of, sitting on top of one of the towers, one of the buildings, the real, the real tall ones. And just look down on everything and just see how people are really feeling when it comes down to the Giants if they go 0-6. Crazy to because say that. The least. Chargers are not that bad. We went no, the Chargers, by I meant week. to say the Giants if I said the Chargers. No, 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 you're right. Giants. I'm saying this is not a gimme win by any stretch of the imagination for the Giants when the Chargers come to town. Not, LA's it's, got it's some not. talent. I agree. I agree 110%. I agree 110%. But, but it's going to boil down in that game, which just sounds crazy, which team can make the least amount of mistakes? Right. Because they both made a tremendous amount every game, whether it's a lack of scheming, a lack of execution, or just basically saying, you know, let's just do situational football. I think they both struggled in all three of those categories. The teams that win, if they can win two-thirds of them, you know, it's like you can have a scheme that doesn't work. But if you all are doing the same thing, 110 miles per hour, you can execute that play to where now situational football says – if we're going against the grain of what we want to do and we're doing it well going against the grain, then we have to just take advantage of where we are and stay there and not try to change it on, on, on the fly, but just keep it where it is. I think that's what we see teams like the Denver Broncos are being able to do. That's what we've seen the Carolina Panthers going on the road, you know, being one of those teams uh, that took advantage of that win. And guess what ended up happening in that game? Not allowing Tom Brady to have the football last. Because the team the week prior that could easily right now when it comes down to the to the Houston Texans, if they would have had the football last and had a chance to get a touchdown or a field goal, you better believe that the New England Patriots probably be sitting here at one and three right now. But uh, that's nor here nor there when it comes to those two teams. But that type of football from a standpoint of what Carolina has been able to do, seem like they're struggling in conversations about how Cam Newton is playing. He puts up 316 yards uh, in the air. I think he ends up throwing three and ran one. You know, so he, he, he bounces back the next week to where there's no questions about his play. Can the Chargers, can the Giants, can they find ways to create that type of, I don't even want to call it magic, but just say execution. And I think where they're lacking, both those teams, is the mobility at the quarterback position. The teams that I just mentioned that are competing, the few that are, Trevor Simeon even, he, have active, he has active feet. You look at the Carolina Panthers, need I say more when it comes to their quarterback. Um, has probably, what, let's just say more touchdowns than some of the elite running backs in the National Football League um, over the last few years, putting up, what, like 53 touchdowns or something, something crazy like that. Um, And then you look at uh, teams like who else is playing really good football right now? Oh, Kansas City Chiefs. How about their quarterback and how he's moving around? So it's just, it's just, I think the world of the mobile quarterback is really coming to play. And the teams that are struggling right now are teams that are having those issues. And, and I just have to be honest. It's not going to get easy for the Giants, nor will it get easy for the Chargers. But guess what? They play against, some, against each other. They, you know, what if, they go in, what if they have to go in overtime? <laughs> that zero, would be zero. a fitting conclusion what based on what these overtime? teams zero, have done zero. to start the year. That would be crazy. Or 3-3, three to three, and they get a tie. We're presuming someone's going to win a football game coming up in New Jersey. As we wrap it up, thank you for being generous, not calling me out. I may have said, I don't recall, I may have said the Jets were only going to win one game. Well, you know what, Brian? You know what? You, you, you know because it's a day where we don't need to say this word, but you, you, you're getting it. 
Because yeah, you did say the Jets were going to go on 16. Oh, by the way, look that? at the schedule. And how good is he playing right now? The Jets are going to Cleveland. The Jets are going to be 3 and 2. Ooh, and I Brian might have Weber. to. And look about your Giants. And your Jets. You, pick, you were bad yeah. on both. You picked the Giants to win the division, and then you said the Jets was going to go on 16 because the T word was a big word in their letters of how they say their name and spell their name. Jets. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. Tomorrow's headlines before they go to print. I've just been handed some great reporting. Tomorrow's questions before anyone's asked them. Could you make an obstruction case? Tomorrow's conversation tonight. Who is there to stand up to the boss and speak truth to power? Not a single person. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. More than the day that was, it's the day that will be. Weeknights at 11 Eastern on MSNBC. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to go on the record with what we are more than sure is going to happen on Monday Night Football. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. All right, partner, we have so much content on a Monday. Just got to squeeze in two minutes and 30 seconds of our thoughts for what's coming up tonight. At the loudest venue in all of football, Arrowhead Stadium. Give me a little taste of the anthem. And the home of the what? And the home of the Chiefs. Trying to remain undefeated. Let's take it category by category. Who has the edge on defense? That Washington defense playing much better than we anticipated coming into the season. Hmm. Who has the edge, huh? Well, I tell you what. Washington in his last game, uh, they actually had a chance to play. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was that against... The Raiders. The Oakland Raiders, and they cruise past them, beat them up. And they beat them up pretty good. But think about this Raiders team that played this past weekend, uh, only allowing 24 points, 24 yards, excuse me, on the ground when looking at that Raiders offense when it comes down to how they play. So I'm not necessarily buying the defense of this Washington Redskins team. So for me, I still like the Kansas City Chiefs in this game because this team is for real. It doesn't matter who they play against, who knows their system, who knows their quarterback and his weaknesses and strengths. They still were capable of coming out in that Philadelphia game. So I like what this team has done. I like the wins that they've accomplished. I think the confidence level is playing high. And Eric Murray has filled in well for Eric Berry, who they've lost for the rest of the season. And Justin Houston. He's continuously playing great football throughout the game, but doing it when it matters most in the latter part of the game, creating turnovers, creating interceptions. I think this team, what they're doing on offense, Tariq, what's the kid's name? Kareem Hunt, excuse me. I mean, he's running like he's a madman, like he's running from something because he's either afraid or he's running to the goal line to get the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. I like the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid and how he has his team prepared to play football. You gave him an extra day or two to prepare for this Washington football team. I think it's going to show up on this Monday night venue of football with the Washington Redskins and the Kansas City Chiefs. And I have this team winning 28 to 14. Comprehensive. Did not leave me a lot of room there. Not at all. Kansas City's going to win. It's going to be tighter than you think. Go ahead. 
21-17. High drama. You're going to have to stay up late to check it out on TuneIn Premium. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.